Hello and welcome to the F1 Feeder Series podcast, your guide to keeping up to date on everything in the junior single-seater world. I'm your host, Jim Kimberley, and throw another GP2 engine on the barbie. Formula 2 and Formula 3 are heading to Australia. This week, we're going to be talking about the unexpected Down Under news, plus a little bit about this weekend's action closer to the usual circuits in Europe. As ever, I couldn't do it alone, so we've got another great lineup of guests. First, let me introduce our second Dutch driver in two weeks, a man with trophies from pretty much every F1 Feeder Series championship, and a driver who was playing around a little in France at some 24-hour race recently. Welcome to the podcast, Bent Viscal. How are you? Thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm doing very well. And have you recovered on your sleep schedule yet? It must have been a bit of a weird one, uh, racing around Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, it was the first 24-hour race I did. So, um, you know, catching one hour of sleep and nine and a half hours of, uh, you know, proper pushing is uh, something new. But uh, it was really the Tuesday and Wednesday were, that was toughest. But, uh, yeah, we've recovered. Excellent stuff. We'll hear about from my voice. Apart from my voice. <laughs> shouting a lot. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know, I enjoyed my weekend. Let's let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more, say no more. Joining Bent is another racer who has just started his European adventures after quickly outgrowing Canada. It's a full-time F1 feeder series discorder and occasional GB3 driver. Hello, Nick Jilks. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, Thank you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. Thank- oh, people don't ask me. Thank you so much. Now, people might know you from Discord, some of the podcast listeners. You spend a lot of time there and you sometimes race cars. Yeah, I would say uh, Discord's probably my part-time, well, not job, but I do uh, message quite a lot in there. <laughs> Welcome to it. And finally, as well, we've got Michael McClure making his podcast debut. And you're a very recent addition to the F1 Feeder Series team, Michael. Can you give everybody a little bit of a description of what you're writing for for F1FeederSeries.com? Yeah, of course. So, hey, everybody. Great to be here. I found out just this morning I was going to do this podcast. So, uh, very last minute call up. But yeah, I'm the new America's editor. So, I'll be covering five racing series, uh, Formula Regional Americas, F4 US Championship, uh, NACAM F4 in Mexico, also Brazilian F4 and F4 Argentina, which unfortunately the second round of that's been cancelled. So we don't yet know when that's going to start, but I'll be there for it when it does. So only one or two things, no no big deal, only like five championships. To yeah, do. just just a, a, just a small workload, really. <laughs> and also just taking the curtain back a little bit and just showing how last minute everything it sometimes is with the podcast and F1 feeder series, but we make it work and hopefully nobody ever notices. But as ever, before we get into it, I have to do a quick reminder to like, comment and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And if you are watching on YouTube and you are a subscriber, and if you're watching on YouTube and not a subscriber, what are you doing? But thank you to all the subscribers for helping us smash through the 1000 subscriber mark over the last week. It's a huge milestone for the podcast and the channel, and we've got grand plans where we could go in the future. And if you're old school listening to the audio-only version, please leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're using. We've nudged up to 27 reviews on Spotify with a 4.6-star rating and sit pretty on Apple Podcasts with five stars. Thank you to everyone who leaves a review. It really does help us out. Now, let's start with... It's Formula 2 news and Formula 3 news, and surprising news, at least for me, that Formula 2 and Formula 3 
are going to now join Formula One in Australia. We heard that news last week. Uh, great timing after the podcast goes out. Thanks so much for that, Formula Two, Formula Three. Let me go into this as a neutral at the moment and not lead anybody on. Bent, how did you react to this news? Well, I think it's absolutely amazing, of course, that because you've got a lot of um, Australian drivers uh, in the F2 and F3 championships, um, to have a home race for them is something, you know, that I support because they're already traveling quite a lot. You know, they're living in Europe and um, for them to have a home race is just... Uh, you know, a dream come true probably for them. So uh, I'm happy for them. But I just hope that the, the teams get compromised as well for all the extra costs they make. But, uh, you know, that's not up to me. No. Well, you know as well as anybody the high expenses of Formula 2 and the other feeder series. But let's not concentrate on that for the moment. You mentioned a home race there. How important is it for a driver to have a home race? Do you really feel like a, a surge of support? Oh, I don't really know because I've never really had a race in the Netherlands. So, uh, <laughs> but the closest I get is Spa, and I mean to see your friends coming over, it's uh, it's it's quite special. It gives you an extra boost for sure. So you're thinking Callum Williams and the likes. Uh, well, do you think actually? Do you think some of this news is off the back of maybe Piastri you're doing well, or is this just him trying to grow the brand? Um, <clears throat> not just that. I just think um, what I've heard from the Australian Grand Prix is that the support um, events were quite limited. Um, as at least that what I heard, you know, I've never been there, but um, you know, F2 and F3 joining them will probably make for a really good uh, racing weekend in, in general. So, um, yeah, well, we're hoping that's the case. Nick, any thoughts from yourself? That's a presumably somewhere you're trying to retain is going off to Australia before you reach F1, something you'd be welcoming. Yeah, it would definitely be a cool experience. And I think for the drivers uh, that will be in FIA, F3 and F2 next year, it's a great opportunity, uh, like Ben said as well. If um, you are Australian, it's incredible to have a home Grand Prix or a home race. So it must mean the absolute world um, to, to quite a few of the drivers in, in the series. And uh, it might be expensive, but I think it'll be really cool for um, uh, basically the entire grid to go to such a track like Melbourne. I have heard that flights to Australia tend to be quite expensive, so you're quite right there. Michael, I see you nodding along, uh, agreeing with those <laughs> expensive flights. You mentioned before, before we joined the podcast, that you had positive and not-so-positive thoughts about this. Can you detail your point of view? Yeah, of course. I mean, I live in the US, and so for me, we never really get F2 and F3 coming to, to this side of the world. And I think it's the same for Australia, and it'll be a great boost for them, not only for the, the drivers as well to see a different part of the world for the teams, but also for, for those fans to, I think, really get a chance to engage with the series in a way that they can't do when it's so far away or in, in time zones that are convenient. But at the same time, I worry too about the cost because we hear these stories of drivers who can't finish out the season. And when you get what I'm going to assume is an early season expensive. Australia keeps its slot in March or April. That's going to really hurt a lot of drivers and teams, especially those that, you know, maybe they have a sponsor fall through early on or later in the season. We've seen this in F3. We've seen it even in F2 as well, that people start the year and then just can't finish it. And, and those flyaways are expensive because of the travel costs. And so I think in terms of that, it has the potential to kind of, I would say, maybe damage the grid in a little bit of a way because you could lose some of those stars that those fans would be coming out to see. And that's really the biggest worry I have for it is that in spite of being a, a new place and a new adventure, you're, you're putting a lot, I think, at stake with this kind of thing. 
Yeah, that's that's a big thing that I'm at odds with as well. It's cost. It's always going to be cost. But just talk on that in a second, because something I've seen discussed um, back in COVID times, actually, when Formula One was talking about is it a world championship when they're only racing around Europe in that odd season? And then I found out this little nugget of if you race in three continents and the FIA sporting code say that it could be a world championship. So according to me, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, that's Middle East. So that's Asia covered. You've got Europe, obviously. And now Australia, the Formula 2 is going to be going to. Nick, that means it could be Formula 2 is a is a world championship. Is that something that they would deserve to have such a title? I would definitely say so. When you look at the the names in the competition on that grid, definitely they deserve that sort of title because it really is incredible. All the drivers on the grid, a lot of people get a lot of um, sort of flack for not being right at the front, but everyone on that grid is very talented. And so I think it's something that's very well deserved. Would you quite fancy, Bent, having a world championship piece of silverware behind you if it was officially recognized as such i mean i know what the answer is but do you think it's something that would be considered or should be considered um yeah i I think it should be but i don't really think it will give much more value for the drivers driving in the championship it's more for probably in 10 years time that you can say you know i've driven in a world championship more than anything else but uh, you know the same happens in karting i think you know uh which is also fia um, those runs are only in Europe and they're also officially recognized as a world championship. So to me, you know, the, the rules are a bit fake, but, you know, that's just my brain now spinning. <laughs> well, if the, well, I've got American here. If the Americans go around calling it a World Series or the Super Bowl international stuff and there's only Canadians yeah. and Americans taking part, then <laughs> maybe we can get away with the same sort of stuff. But, well, tell us, Michael, it's, is Formula 2 going to be a world championship? And Ben suggests it's not going to be a big deal, but maybe that might be attractive to some sponsors. Yeah, that was that was my exact thought, actually, is that I think that marketing, that label, especially for brands that aren't necessarily based in Europe, again, having that exposure, I think that they can kind of buy into something that's global. I think just those words can mean a lot for series sponsors, for, for driver sponsors. And also, you know, if you look at, if you've got a young driver coming over from F3, you're going to get a lot of value out of potentially sponsoring that person as they move through the ranks. So I think that's another benefit that these companies, especially those based in Australia or Oceania in general, will get from this kind of thing. I think there, there is a good marketing value from the outside of this. It's just the, the inside of it that I'm, I'm worried about. And also fatigue for the, for the teams and drivers. I mean, Ben, I'm sure you know as well as anybody, it's a very busy season and all the traveling and, you know, training you have to do and just adding in that extra flight, going to a totally different time zone. It can't be easy, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of, well, we don't know what the full season is yet, but if it looks like anything like this season, which is what, 14 odd rounds, it's going to be a very busy old time. 2021 though, Ben, you're racing three races per round to compress the calendar, right? And save on costs. Now for 2023, F2 needs to, <laughs> for the benefit of anybody listening, not watching, there was a quote unquote there, but yeah, I, I see where you go with this. I won't push, but F2 now needs to travel all the way to Australia with all the equipment, all the personnel and travel all the way back, presumably to Bahrain, if not Europe, depending on how the calendar goes. That's somewhat at odds with cost saving. Is that something that, well, maybe you know more than we do that Formula 2 is 
forgetting when they announce news like this? And Formula 3? Um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think um, they're forgetting it. I think they always try their best to compromise the teams. Whether it's always uh, a fair share of it, I'm not sure. I won't comment on that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll probably bring extra costs for sure. Ben, I'm going to suggest when you retire and the book comes out, then you're going to have something to say about this when you're, <laughs> your poker face isn't so good. There is some things to say. But in all seriousness, what can you say at the moment about those sorts of costs? Is that something that does get discussed with the drivers? That if you're going to be doing more races, you need to be bringing more money because it's going to be more expensive for the season? Um, I think it's more discussed on a, on a team level. You know, I think it's more a thing for team managers and, um, you know, uh, I don't really think the driver's opinion mattered that much. Uh, I think it's more of a, of a team. Uh... So it's a halfway point for Frecker after Zanvor. And after Dino Boganovic looked unstoppable with P1s and P2s in the opening seven races, eight if you include his French disqualification, it was instead teammate Paul Aaron who took both wins, Dino getting a best finish of P3. Now, this championship looked like, well, compromised like Formula One with somebody running away with it. But all of a sudden, maybe Paul Aaron, Gabriel Mini could be making it a championship fight, Michael. How did you view this weekend? Yeah, I think I would say this weekend was kind of quite a turning point and really continuing on from the last round in the Castellet where Aaron, again, he won a race and was third in the other one. And he was, there was no stopping him. And Beganovich honestly didn't even look that close. Um, I think it's one of these cases where when you just think back to last year, we had Gregoire Saucy really set this great precedent at the beginning of the season. And then later in the year, he was still doing very well, but he wasn't quite as dominant. He didn't sweep any weekends. And I think we're kind of seeing the same thing with Beganovic. So he stretched out this very big lead early on, had the disqualification and the race to Castellet. But aside from that, has been just on the podium and everything. And I think now he's gotten to the point where he can just manage the championship lead a little bit, still do very well, pick up the points. And I think that's really his big aim. And, and same kind of thing we see in Formula 2 with Drugovic. He's got this huge lead. And all he has to do really now is just make sure he doesn't have any huge mistakes. Um, Aaron, of course, this is a great chance for him to get back at it. He really needs to win this season, I would say. It's his third year in the championship. Didn't have a great one in 2020 when he started last year. Obviously, I think he was third. So now he really has to, I mean, he has to be in the top three. Same with Hadrian David, who's really struggled this year. He had the win in Monaco and was doing really well, but otherwise just not a single podium. And I think we're seeing in general, our ace is just not really at the same level that, that you would think them to be. Just a point there, and great segue. Thank you, Michael. The Hadrian David part. Now, for those who maybe didn't watch Frecker over the weekend, uh, listening and watching, David finished second in the first race. And then they've got the new push-to-pass system in Frecker at the moment. And he used it, as the one with another driver, just before the start-finish line. And he cruelly had a penalty apply. That's well, not cruelly, it's, it's, a, it's a rules, but he cruelly lost out on his podium position. This is the sort of stuff which is going to be heartbreaking for him. But Bent, is this a point of having the feeder series to go through mistakes like this, like pushing, pushing push to pass? Easy for me to say. Before the right moment that you lose something like this, but you will learn on that for the future to know the rules. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's just part of the process of, of you know, learning. Um, you know, we all make mistakes, uh, especially racing drivers. So it's just a bit 
was a bit of a cruel thing to lose out on. But uh, yeah, in the end, I think it only makes you stronger. Especially racing drivers. I'd say especially politicians make the real mistakes, but <laughs> racing drivers as well. What's your biggest mistake, Ben? Tell us that, if you were, if, especially racing drivers. Well, you know, I I, um, I remember this one karting race, which was funny. There, there was this warm-up lap, and I was actually very fast, but it was raining. Um, and, yeah, I, I spun twice in the warm-up lap, although I was probably <laughs> going to be going for the, uh, for the win. Uh, and I just remember my father being uh, on the sideline. He said, you know, son, I'm not angry, but I'm just very disappointed. <laughs> 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 you know, I'll, I'll never forget. So, uh, yeah. Nick, anything you've got to say similar to that? Do you have any, uh, I mean, that's the iconic thing, isn't it? I'm not angry, just disappointed. That's the yeah, line. It's, it's part of life again, isn't it? We all make mistakes. <laughs> Nick, anything like that for you? I wouldn't say that. It's like we all make stupid mistakes at times in motor racing. As ben said, especially drivers, apparently. That's what I've just Yeah, heard, it, oh, drivers. it's so common. <laughs> it is so often, like this year alone, uh, I've had a few mistakes where I've immediately after gone like, what was that um, sort of example being, uh, let's say, Alton Parker went off in the wet in practice on lap three, um, for example. So we all make mistakes like that. And it's just important to take away from them and, and learn from them sort of thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that is life. But well, big revelation to me is that racing drivers in particular are the ones who make most mistakes in life. But yeah, so Hadrian David lost that, unfortunately, um, which kind of is in a position at the moment, would you say, Michael, that we've got these drivers and there's rookies that are kind of far behind. There's not going to be a rookie winner this year, but you've got drivers who do multiple seasons in this championship and to me are struggling more than I would have expected. I know Dino struggled last year with like his rookie season, but he's completely turned it around. But you've got other familiar faces now stuttering through their campaign, I'd say. Yeah, and I would say another thing that sometimes gets overlooked is there was some bad luck for these familiar faces. Gabriele Mini had some terrible luck. Uh, he got a penalty. Um, he also, first race of the season, both him and Aaron had, had accidents. Obviously, it was kind of a, a big mistake that many of you ran into the back of Beganovich on a safety car restart. But you do say that they're really not lacking pace. I would say those three, Beganovich, Iron, and Mini, have been comfortably the three fastest this year. But for David, he just has kind of lacked that little bit of extra spark that you would see. I mean, he's he did great in Monaco. But aside from that, I would say he's just been quite anonymous, really. Mm -hmm. um, his teammates at, at, at RA Sportoletto has been there Fusha took that podium in the opening race and he's pretty much faded since then so I think just the team in general has been sort of struggling with it ART has been decent I wouldn't say great especially compared to last year and you know Saucy ran away with the title we've got Mini in third he's I would say still in the fight Mari Boyas had a pretty good season but is is I think down in eight at this point and Lawrence Van Hopen obviously it's his first year in in cars so he's really just taking this season to adapt so I think we're definitely seeing quite a lot of strength at Prema they've got experience and they've got Montoya the rookie leader as well so that's where I really expect to see there being a lot of momentum and we saw it this weekend they were just dominant so I think that's what I'd be looking out for I'm, I would still say I expect Beganovich and Aaron to be the top two I expect Montoya to be the top rookie by a pretty comfortable margin but there will always be surprises in this in the series. So, yeah, and good to see Juan Pablo there again with uh, supporting yeah. his his son. And 
one last touch, one last thing to touch on through this. Cass Havercourt was also in contention and got that podium in race one before David's penalty still. So that was a great showing for him in his home race, but then lost his front wing in race two. Somehow still P5 in the championship. Bent, that's another Dutch racing driver who could be a star of the future. We're going through a bit of a Dutch revamp at the moment after so long without any Dutch drivers. Is this just all of a Verstappen effect? Uh, no, because I think the Verstappen effect will come in 10 years. Uh, you know, the Verstappen effect is, you know, people going to the kiting track uh, instead of the football pitch, for example, um, with, with kids from like eight years old. And of course, you know, they're not that old yet. Uh, hey, he's be been in Formula th- One for a while, though. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, it will probably take time. Um, but apart from that, I think, yeah, I don't really know why there was no Dutch driver for such a long time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we we are quite lucky where, where we're at in the world. You know, we're based uh, with a lot of very competitive karting championship around you. You've got the German karting championship, one of the strongest ones in Europe. Um, I, I think you really need to look down from that sort of point because that's where you all start being competitive. I know Kars, for example, was also competing there on a high level. Richard was there. I was there. Uh, I, I won the championship. Richard won the championship. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think that we're benefiting from those kind of uh, things much more than uh, the Verstappen effect now. But again, in five years' time, 10 years' time, you will definitely see the Verstappen effect. Yeah, so what you're basically threatening is at the moment, we've gone through the German dominance with Schumacher, the British dominance with Hamilton, and now yeah, the we're Dutch... Talk, we're, coming. We're, we're coming. <laughs> the Dutch we're are coming. coming. <laughs> this is the only beginning. Um, Nick, when's the Canadian dominance coming? It's been a long time since old Jacques Villeneuve won the championship. It has been a little while. It's tough because coming from Canada, I can say it, motorsport, the heart is really in the UK when it comes to F1 and uh, all its feeder series. So it's tough to to say when the next Canadian will break through. I hope it's me. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Um, uh, you can never predict these things, really. Yeah, so just like one other interesting point from this weekend, I thought the series organization had like a big high point and also a really big low point. So obviously, Ray Shuey had this massive accident, um, Ketra Delaguanti going over the, the catch fence with the Esteban Masson behind. And that was obviously very scary after we saw the footage of it. But I'm really glad they didn't show that because we've had so many other incidents um, I think back to the Grosjean incident in Formula One a couple of years ago, where they would show these these very frightening accidents, and especially for these young drivers, sort of having that be spotlighted and the kind of thing where it defines their career it can be a really damaging thing, I think. So I'm, I'm glad that the, the series didn't really focus on that. But on the flip side of it, there was a very scary moment in qualifying. Um, so Pietro Armani in the second qualifying session crashed, went off at, uh, at the back corner turn three. And there's a safety vehicle that went out on track right as Paul Aaron was approaching, crossing the start finish straight. And that I thought was just, you know, at this level, pretty shocking that they didn't red flag the session. No yell, no, not even really a double yell or anything, just red flat notes. They should have shown, they should have thrown a red flag at that moment. And there's the safety vehicle on the track as cars are going by. And, and that was definitely a hard and mouth moment for me watching that live. Um, so I think just something, you know, you see it at lower levels, especially, but even at, at the fracker level, which is, I would say a pretty high level, they're, they're not immune to these kind of slip ups. So just something I, I was quite concerned about. I'm sure other viewers as well. I know Guillaume Capietto said something on, on Twitter about it. So 
No, it's good to bring it up and you're completely right. The thing is, it's luckily no one was hurt, especially on that crash, which was why there's not a catch fence there is beyond me, but that was horrible to watch. Uh, but there are humans making these decisions, so there are reasons why these things happen. And sometimes it's like Hauger in Saudi Arabia, where it just ends up cross, you know, having this information get it wrong and it loses points. But other times it could be far, far worse. But yeah, you've raised some very valid points. And just thankfully, no one was hurt. Everybody was very, very lucky to walk away. Well, that's enough questions from us because the F1 Feeder Series podcast is for you, viewers and listeners. So we're moving on to the part of the podcast where you have your say with hashtag AskF1FS. If this is your first time watching or listening, you can get involved by using the hashtag AskF1FS on Twitter, joining our Discord, like a certain guest at the moment does regularly, and using the podcast questions channel or simply commenting on our YouTube videos and asking whatever it is that's on your mind. First question is from a regular question asker, and this one's to you, Bent, from CM Parfait16. Hi, Bent. Is IMSA on the cards for your current sports car stint? Well, that's an interesting way of asking the question as well. You know, I see what she, did, she or he did there. But um, <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, Probably not this year, but uh, yeah, we're obviously uh, looking at options for next year, and uh, you know, we might see uh, we might see me driving there. You might see me driving there. Sorry, yeah. So these conversations are happening this early in the season for what you're doing next, is because we're not even halfway through 2022. But do you have to have these conversations starting so early? Uh, funny enough, yes, um, because you know everyone wants to know what's happening as early as possible. And the good seats, you know, they are gone in a, in a, you know, blink of an eye. So, um, yeah, we already have to start thinking about next year, that's for sure. So conversations are ongoing, but nothing confirmed yet. No, I mean, it's, it's really early stages, you know. It's just like, you know, throwing out the fishing rods and seeing, you know, whoever bites and then, you know, reeling them in. You sound like a single guy just flirting with whoever you want and seeing which one's going to be the strongest, the strongest pull. Uh, there's another question here from, from Casey <laughs> uh, on, on Twitter. It's also for you, Ben. What are your goals for the rest of this season? Uh, well, my first goal was really to get to know endurance, um, you know. So now that's gone, I feel very comfortable with the car. I feel very comfortable with the traffic, with all the overtaking. Uh, I have made zero mistakes until now. So that was the main target. Uh, and drivers for... make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, but you know, you always make little mistakes. Uh, like for example, I was I, I didn't have any radio communication in my first race in Porica, which was quite hard, of course, because it was my first endurance race, and there's a lot of information that you need to take. But I kind of um, like plugged my radio in the wrong way, so when I did the driver change, he did my belt and then he completely ripped off the radio. So they could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. So we ended up with the lollipop on the, on the pit wall, me asking questions, just wave twice. If you want me to box or something like this, so it was a bit of a, so yeah, that was a mistake I made before I even went into the car. So, you know, I, I'm not immune for mistakes, but I made, didn't make any mess of like a crash damage or anything like this. Um, so that's the first goal of the season done um i mean for the rest of the season obviously uh i, I think we still have a good shot at uh, you know at least being in the top three of the uh, elms championship with uh, sofia we had a bit of 
poor luck in uh, in Imola with the puncture, of course, and you know the full course yellow is not really getting our in our direction. Um, yeah, and again, I just want to learn as much as possible and and really enjoy it as well because it's it's just so much fun to drive two hours in a row without thinking about tire wear or you know anything like this. It's just uh, it's it's it was kind of a really new thing to me at first, but it's it's so enjoyable. Right. Um, you know, what? we spoke to Gianluca Petikoff recently and it was the same sort of stuff like getting out of the single seater world. You just seem to be enjoying the racing a lot more. So it's great to hear that it's the same for you right now as well. We've got a bunch of questions and we're going to have a lot of people disappointed. We weren't going to answer them. So we're going to just rush on through. This one's from IKRT underscore Chris via Instagram. Nick, first off, how are you? How pleasant. Second of all, an unfortunate result in the last race of GB3. With results similar to these, how as a driver do you prepare yourself mentally? Also, what are your future plans in the world of motorsport? Are there any racing series you are looking to compete in? Lots of questions there, but maybe you can tackle them in order. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, there's I haven't really, I can't remember them all, there were so many, I have to be honest. Um, but as of right now, I don't know what the plan is for next year. As, as I said, um, as has been mentioned, budget is a big thing. Um, so who knows, I'd love to do GB3 again because I felt I've been learning all the time. So I, I don't know what the plan is next year, but hopefully we'll see sooner rather than later. Yeah, let me just remind you, because it was a lot of questions. The second part, and this because I did some research obviously about how, how you were doing and you did so well last year that's such a learning curve for this year and it, it, the question was an unfortunate result in the last race in GB3 with results similar to these how as a driver do you prepare yourself mentally so I'm guessing the thing is you were picking up podiums galore as you were at, quickly outgrowing Canada last year as this year it's been a little bit more troublesome how are you finding yourself mentally preparing for each race well, you just have to take the positives from each each weekend and each day you do in the car. It's, it's tough because I haven't done a huge amount of testing just, again, because of budget. So every time I go out on track, I'm learning and I'm really enjoying just driving. So that's something you've got to take away always as a driver. Um, mentally, there's not anything I'd say other than take the positives and uh, keep learning and you know you'll get there eventually. It might just take a bit longer than you'd hoped. Are you trying to do something on track at the, each time? Like if you do have a poor weekend or an unfortunate session that you're trying to figure out, well, at least I was able to, I don't know, take turn five and sh shave two tenths of a second off that corner. And is that the way you try and build up in your head? Yeah, it's more learning, not necessarily about a specific corner, but sort of the type of corner, like high speed, low speed, medium speed. Um, we, we can tell through looking at the, the sectors um, at each track we've been to, I've been pretty respectable through the, the slow and medium speed stuff, but I've really struggled to get used to downforce. Hmm. Um, so you just have to keep keep building off what you, you do at each uh, each day in the car and um, just accept it might take a bit longer, but, you know, just keep building. Yeah, every single minute in the car is another minute you can add up. This one's from Lorena for you, Bent, and they want to know, Curious how Bent compares endurance to feeder series experiences. Anything he found especially challenging, apart from plugging in your, your speaker, your headphones. Even more interestingly, is there something he thought would be challenging but surprised him positively? So, um, yeah, on the last subject, it's definitely the traffic because, you know, as a single-seater driver, I think the thing you hate most is traffic. 
<laughs> even if there's like a car slowing down, you're still pissed off. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got all these GT cars, uh, you know, being what, 10, 20 seconds a lap slower than you. Um, it's, it's so satisfying to, you know, adapt the whole lap. You know, you see them going in Le Mans, you see them going into the Porsche curves. And at some point, you just know when you're going to hit them on the on the right one, you know, mm. going to parking. And, and that's that's really satisfying. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Um, one thing I cannot really say, I do not really enjoy anything that much. Well, of course, in single-seaters, you've got the purest form of, let's say, speed, you know, the, the sensing of really, you know, the wind coming by, uh, this kind of stuff. I do miss that. Uh, also, the single lap, performance of a Formula 2 car, for example, is something that I do miss. Um, but, man, there are so many positives on, on this endurance world. And, and you know, there's always a, there's always going to be pros and cons, but at the moment, I'm just enjoying it a lot. Oh, great. Like I say, great to hear. It's so positive to pe- see your people know that there is a... You know, it's important. Everyone reaches Formula 1 and it's like, oh, great Formula 1. But then you see some people leave Formula 1 and some people never make it and just seem to be doing so well for themselves when they when they get out. A certain recent Indian... Yeah, I mean, I mean there's a whole other world. You know, there's a whole other world that we are not quite aware of, I think, as a feeder series driver because we're so focused on the, that one goal. And again, I still want to make it to Formula 1, but, you know, it's going to be very hard, I know. But in the meantime, I want to enjoy it as much as possible. And, and again, this whole world that opened up for me is just, uh, you know, it's, it's been a big blessing, to be honest. Oh, again, I'm smiling because I can tell how happy you are as well. So great to hear. Uh, there's another question here which requires a bit of thinking. So I probably should have asked you guys beforehand. And it was, we've got it here down for Nick, but I guess it's for, well, all of you. In fact, I'm going to change it and get each of you to have one thing. Because the question's from AS19, Alex, obviously friend of the podcast, friend of F1 Feedy Series. If you were in a position of power in the FIA, which three things about junior formula would you change to make it better? Now, I was going to ask you specifically to you, Nick, but I'm going to ask for one from each of you. Who wants to go first? I'm going to pick on somebody. Right. Nick, you're going first. You were going to be first. They're going to go Nick, Ben, Michael. Fair enough. Um, yeah, there's there's not that many things I would change because they do do a really good job with um, setting everything up. But if I were to pick one thing, it would be limiting the number of tires each team get. Hmm. That way you can sort of, um, not not across a weekend, but I mean, just for testing, because that is something that makes a lot of difference for drivers. And um, when you limit the tires, obviously it means you can't go and spend a load of money because they are extremely expensive. Um, so it'll limit costs quite a lot and then also limit the amount of testing people will do making it more sort of equal for everyone. I like that. Something I haven't heard before. Bent, anything from you? Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking uh, of a lot of things. but you know, <laughs> Which one goes to the top, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, which one, you know, which one is politically uh, correct? <laughs> <I> mean, which... <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always easy to say from the outside, you know, there are a lot of things that has to be changed, but there are a lot of angles to all the, uh, to all the stories. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, I would definitely, um, you know, have a, have a closer look at all the private testing, you know, uh, have a real look to really limit it, to limit the costs and really have an equal playing field for everyone. But again, this is very, very hard to control because you cannot be at the same, 
circuit. You know, you cannot be at all the circuits all the time. Mm. Um, but that's something that I would definitely have a, have a closer look on. Yeah, I think it's fair to say I'm not going to push you on this because I understand why you don't want to talk about it then. But as we know, there's not any parity between the budget that some people bring. That also then means there's not parity, as Nick was alluding to, in the track time for everybody to bring. And of course, somebody who spends more time on track is generally going to be a bit more comfortable with the car. So I think that would be a very good suggestion too. Uh, Michael, what would you suggest as a non-driver? Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't have the experience that Ben and Nick do, but I would say one thing that I've seen come up a lot and I would say generally makes sense is the cars have gotten really quite heavy recently. And obviously with this extra weight, it comes with extra cost, there's extra equipment. So I think on the lines of cutting costs, I think just making the cars themselves cheaper would be probably the most sensible thing. If you go back 15, 20, 30 years, even further back, the cars were lighter and they were smaller and you saw the costs were lower. Obviously there's inflation, there's a host of other economic factors, but- Safety. Safety, of course, and, and you want to make sure that they are as safe as possible. So it's a real trade-off, but I would say just looking for improvements in that way. Can you make the cars in any way? Maybe not quite so chunky. The new F4, uh, the, the Tatas that they introduced this year is, is quite huge. And mm. I think that's something where you have seen an increase in the cost compared to the, the series that are using the older one. Yeah, we spoke about that briefly last week with Charlie Verts talking about it. And then uh, your compatriot, Ben, Richard Vashore, was mentioning just a cost difference from when he was racing there. I think it's different now, but he was saying that when he started, it was, Carter was more expensive than Formula 4, but that's switched around with the new car. But again... We understand you why Formula Four being lighter and, and cheaper. Or... Say that again. Sorry. How, how do you? I mean, you mean that the Formula Four was cheaper back then than it is now, or? Yeah, it was it was one cheaper than it is now, but also it was cheaper than karting. So Richard was saying he was spending ten thousand euros per race on karting, and that was more expensive than his actual Formula Four championship when he oh, started. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, especially if you do it as a privateer, karting is 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 still expensive, but it's it's you know. Uh, still a lot cheap. It can, it can be cheaper than it is now because there are a lot more professional teams in karting now than there were six, seven years ago. Um, and Formula Four, I mean, I think Richard and I, we both drove the same championship. He was, of course, one year before I was. Uh, but the championship back then uh, was sponsored by a certain Russian bank. That's, of course, not <laughs> a sensible topic. But uh, one thing they did well is organizing this Northern European Championship mm. to get a um, you know, with the Netherlands, with Finland, Estonia. So the budget for that championship was actually cheaper than karting, exactly. And you were doing a lot of lot of races for relatively little money. Um, but I think the championship is gone two years after. You know, it went away two years after I did it, which is a big shame. Um, but yeah. I mean, formula, I mean, one thing on the lighter cars, uh, I, I do definitely agree. Cars nowadays, they are they are too heavy. Um, the, the best car I drove was definitely the Euro Formula, you know, the old FAF3. I mean, it was so nimble on the corners and, and so tricky in high speed, but it still had proper downforce, although it was underpowered. Uh, but driving a car which is only 575 kilos with driver in it is, is just, is mess. You know, it's, it's insane. It's uh, it's mind blowing the first time you drive it, and then of course Formula Two is very heavy. I think uh, with drivers what eight hundred fifty, which is of course a huge increase uh, in in motorsport. You know these kind of uh, increases you definitely feel. Yeah, we uh, we've spoken before, and just the tires themselves, or the wheels, should I say, uh, 
adding to the weight. I'm just going to rush through some of these questions here to try and get through as many as possible. This one comes from Hampus Kildemarkerson. Sorry for completely butchering your name there. Nicholas, it come, coming from F1 Esports and other sim racing stuff, how does it help you on the real track? Well, you get to practice a lot on a sim, and it, that's, that helps a lot um, in any sort of way, really. You can learn a track. You can, you can test a lot of things on a sim. It's not obviously the exact same. But it really does teach you sort of the fundamentals you need um, to, to figure things out when you go to a track to the fir- for the first time, that sort of thing. So definitely um, sim racing is unbelievably helpful to a driver. And there's a reason that all the F1 teams, all the junior drivers, everyone uses a sim to help them learn and uh, keep practicing sort of thing. So it is undoubtedly very valuable. Very valuable and not as expensive as going on track properly. This next question is from Pavlos Lepaul via Discord. For you, Bent, how is it to work with Miro Konopka and how would you rate your performance during Le Mans? Um, how is it to work with Miro? Actually, it's, it's, it's quite a big pleasure because it's a very nice guy to be around. Um, yet, of course, quite a big crash in Spa, uh, which definitely compromised his confidence in, in a race car and himself, I think, which is a shame because even though not many people know he's actually quite fast when he's comfortable in the car, um, so yeah, that was that was of course a little bit of a, of a disappointment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I rate my own performance in Le Mans very high, um, if I may so, say so, because I think I was one of the fastest uh, silvers. You know, you get these driver ratings, and I think I was fastest on the averages, which is positive. Um, and again, as I said, I didn't make any major mistakes. Uh, so yeah, I think. We got a we got a stone chip in the radiator which uh, which broke it. Uh, but when I did my final night stint, we gave away the car with a two lap lead in the Pro AM class. Um, so everything was looking really good uh, until this this bad luck stroke. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very happy with my performance in Le Mans. Yeah, it's funny when you race for 24 hours that you end up with all these odd little <laughs> bits of attrition during the race isn't it stone chip can just change everything there's another question for you here from fossy king via discord as well ben you currently share a car with arguably the fastest woman in the world motorsport in sophia flourish what do you think can be done to help develop more female talent and does anything have to change with your and sophia's car due to biological reasons i guess that's to do with the seat maybe um, funny enough, no. Um, we're very lucky to have the same seat. Of course, it's not perfect, perfect, but uh, you know, it's 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 it saves a lot of time in the pit stops, or at least a lot of stress. Um, so definitely not. Um, sorry, what was the first part of the question again? Because yeah, the first part was to do with that Sophia's obviously such a fast driver herself. But what do you think could be done to help develop more female talent? I'll come to you in this in a second as well, Nick, because of your sister who's in W series, but. How about you from your perspective, Ben? Um, I, I think there will naturally be more uh, female racing drivers in a couple of years' time, again, because of what you see on TV, Formula 1 being more hyped than ever before. I think it's also quite popular with, with women nowadays, or I mean, little girls in this, uh, in this case, uh, because after Liberty Media took over, I think they really chose for a bit of a show effect as well, which is, of course, attracting more uh, people in general and especially girls because you know 
you really had to be into motorsport to like Formula One, let's say in 2010, 2012. You really had to know what was going on, the strategies. I think everything is much more simplified also because of social media. Um, so I think we will naturally see more girls in, in, I mean, racing in general. I think you raised some really good points with the social media elements of that as well, which I hadn't even considered just in popularity away from the genders. Uh, it's just becoming more attractive and more viable for everybody because we see it on television. Now, I alluded again, Nick, to some questions of your sister. <laughs> there was a bunch of questions about, uh, about Megan. This one's from Sam. How is Nick's relationship with his sister? Is there any way you can help each other on race weekends? Oh, yeah, we're, we're pretty close, I'd say. And obviously we're driving for the same team now with me and GB3 and her and GB4. So we can share a lot of, not data, because obviously the cars are very, very different, but you can sort of pick things off of each other. So if she's doing something um, through a corner, I can learn from that if it's quicker. Or if, if she says it, it feels good, then I can try it in the GB3 and vice versa as well. So we can definitely help each other in that sort of way. And obviously she's very experienced. As you said, um, during the W Series at one point, she's driven uh, now in GB4, Formula Ford in the UK. So yeah, she's done a fair amount. So always learning from, uh, from Megan. Well, that might help you answer this question. And it's a one word answer from Tom Evans Photography. Who's faster, you or Megan? That's not a one-word answer. <laughs> um, there's a smart answer, and there's um, everyone's own opinion. So to, to save my sister probably killing me, I'll say Megan. Um, but uh, who knows? Uh, we, we rarely drive the same cars, um, and it really depends on the car as well. Because Megan, when she's good in a car, she is very, very talented. Um, but who knows? <laughs> well, you're setting yourself up nicely without knowing it here, because this final question for this podcast is from Discord, from Megan Dilks. For Nick, what exactly happened in the semi-final of the 2021 Formula Ford Festival? Um, you hit me. <laughs> nice one, Megan. <laughs> um, is that your recollection no, of it? Well, yes. Um, at the, the festival, it was wet, and at the first corner, she spun, but did a full 360 and ended up facing the right way. And then at the second corner, it, like, she got hit the first corner. It wasn't her fault. And then the second one, I think she tapped the car in front slightly and lost it, and I was alongside her at the time, and uh, where we sort of just went, I don't know how to describe it other than that, T-boning yeah. across yeah. the track, yeah. Um, so her, her nose ended up in my side pod, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> some very awkward uh, uh, phone calls and conversations makes <laughs> <after laughs> Christmas a bit more awkward as well um, am I right in saying that was the first time you two raced together as well not in a car uh, technically no in, in cars no but it was the same year it's the first time okay. in cars in cars we raced when I was like 6 and she was 11 or 10 and then um, in cars yes it Montreal, or not Montreal, but in Montreal, um, uh, in Canada, we raced in 1600 against each other. And then it ended quite badly <laughs> at the festival. <laughs> well, let's leave it there. It's Megan's fault, but she's a faster driver. So I think you've evened it out with, uh, with the sibling rivalry there. I'm afraid that is all the time we have this week. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. If you'd like to have your question asked on a future episode, use the hashtag AskF1FS on Twitter. 
Drop any questions below if you're watching on YouTube or let us know what questions you have on your mind on our Discord. Look for the podcast questions channel. If you are watching on YouTube, dropping a like on the video, leaving a comment and subscribing to the channel all really helps us out. And if you're listening, leaving a review on the podcast platform you're listening on is greatly appreciated. Finally, check out f1feederseries.com for more feeder series insight and follow F1 Feeder Series 1, F1 FS Americas and F1 FS Live on Twitter. You can find the links to all of that, plus the Twitter accounts for myself and everyone else on the podcast in the YouTube description or the podcast show notes. Until next time, we have been the F1 Feeder Series podcast. Goodbye.